This is the Star Sky and Witchy Things podcast, and I'm Alexis, your host. And this is the show for you if you want to geek out about star magic with the vibes of a Saturday brunch. Today's episode is a further look at the categories of magic in the Renaissance and how celestial magic has evolved from the time of Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa, who wrote the most comprehensive systematic sources of magic at the time. And then we will look at how that impacts the way we relate to astrology nowadays. And finally, we'll end with a look at the transits for the two weeks from the new moon in Capricorn on the 11th of January to the full moon in Leo on the 25th. So if you're new here, first of all, welcome. And secondly, you will not know this, but I'm a big fan of the Moonbeaming podcast. And in their latest newsletter, there was this quote that was relevant to our topic today. The most important thing to know about archetypes is that they are the embodiment of energy and energy is everything. Talking about energy can sometimes be very lofty and woo and that can be off-putting for many, but it's hard to deny the role that archetypes play across all facets of human life. So, as we saw last week, the three kinds of magic are mental or natural, celestial and intellectual, or um, and then intellectual, or what would later become ceremonial. And I had an episode on natural magic already in season two, which I will link to in the show notes if you want to hear a bit more about that. They are so defined, bearing in mind that a great power role in a Christian context where everything traces back to an omnipotent creator and also that I'm paraphrasing the 1651 translation from Latin into English so that it's easy for you to follow not only because it's a public domain edition but also because it's the closest I could find to a contemporary translation so that it preserves at least some of the cultural context of the original works. So the first draft of the first book predates the Reformation, although it was published in 1531, and then the full three-volume set was published in 1533. So even if some of it would have come about as the Catholic worldview lost its prevalence in Europe, there's still a gap between the world that Agrippa lived in and that of this translator almost a hundred years after the Elizabethan settlement. And that could give a lecture on this off the top of my head because the Reformation is one of my specialist topics from my two degrees, but I'll keep it to what's relevant to much. But if anyone is interested in a deeper dive into the religious context, and just let me know, my inbox is always open. So Agrippa wrote that wise men seek after the virtues of the elemental world, though uh, through sorry, through the help of physics and natural philosophy, in the various combinations of natural things, then of the celestial world in the stars, and the influences according to the rules of astrologers and the doctrines of mathematicians, joining the celestial virtues to the natural ones. Moreover, they ratify and confirm all of these with the powers of the intelligences above through the sacred ceremonies of religion. And that's end quote. 
So natural magic may sound close to folk magic with respect to how it uses the natural world, but it was mostly alchemy. And also celestial magic was not entirely overlapping what we do with astrology and star and planetary magic nowadays, because it was more strongly linked to the seasons. For Agrippa, the magician needed to be skilled in mathematics and in the aspects and figures of the stars upon which depends the sublime virtues and properties of everything. And the aspects of the Sardet here is a reference to the much earlier works of Ptolemy, who my returning friends have heard plenty about by now, since he was the one to codify Western astrology as it's used in modernity including the Placidus House system that is much maligned by people online, but we'll get back to that in a little, bit, a little while. So in his Tertia Briblos, Ptolemy laid out the foundations of astrology as a natural science rather than a supernatural one, which then influenced the way in which the studies of the cosmos became part of the theological curricula of medieval and Renaissance universities. So take, for example, Dante's Divine Comedy, which to this day influences the way that we think of hell and heaven in popular culture, um, was based on the cosmology laid out by Ptolemy, which is basically that the universe is made of concentric spheres extending from the moon, the Mercury, Venus, the sun, and the other planets that could be seen with the naked eye, and finally the stars split in 48 constellations, 12 of which are obviously the zodiac. So the book I mentioned is a side treaty to his book on astronomy, where he lays out this model. And it focuses on the astrological applications of being able to track and predict the movements of these bodies and the fit stars. So moving from the observation that the sun and the moon affect biological patterns on Earth, like the seasons and the tides, he had like, attributed the cycles of growth and patterns of behavior in nature to the influence of the celestial cycles. And ironically, the main book, which is the Syntaxis or Almagest, became more popular with later astrologers, especially those versed in orary astrology, which is the branch that will find you your lost items based on the aspects at the time where you lost it. And that kind of very specific time-sensitive horoscopes that I personally don't work with, so I can't really speak much about them. Now, Ptolemy's view of astrology is similar to mine, as he always saw it as more conjectural because of the many variables, like, factors to be taken into account. Although he considered some events fated, as of course he was culturally an ancient Roman, and the idea of faith is not quite what we seem to think it was after 2,000 years of Christianity that influenced the way that we look at ancient philosophies, but even still probably a bit more fatalistic than we are nowadays. But before I go back to our Renaissance magic divisions, I want to bring back the one controversial topic on astrology specifically, the houses. Because a lot of people seem to have the impression that Placidus as a house system is a modern invention and therefore not what the ancients used and therefore true astrologers read whole houses. And... The thing is, pretty much any house system used in the West traces back to the writings of Ptolemy and his contemporaries. In Placidus the Tethys, 
was a 17th century Italian monk who, in many ways, anticipated Einstein's notion of a space-time continuum and was seen by his contemporaries and later astrologers as having the most correct interpretation of Ptolemy coming to us via the works of the 12th century Hebrew astrologer Abraham Ibn Ezra. And part of the reason why the system came to be written about at the time that it was by Placidus was that there was this controversy around geocentrism and heliocentrism after Copernicus and Galileo started challenging the Catholic Church's interpretation of natural science. And the Placidus was taking the side of the geocentric uh, view of the world. And that's ironic because Placidus eventually fell foul of the Catholic Church too, with his books banned and reaching us through the English-speaking astrologers, which is a whole other story that Chris Brennan and Anthony Lewis covered already on the Astrology Podcast, if you want to look that up. I'm not going to go into details now. I might get around to Lily and his friends at some point, but with the British Library's online system still down, I don't have the breadth of sources that I would normally want to have. Anyway, back to our friend Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa, who was writing about the separation of elemental celestial and intellectual magic and was positioning the celestial part within this tradition that started with Ptolemy. In chapter 11 of the first volume, she started how occult virtues are infused into the several kinds of things by ideas through the help of the soul of the world and rays of the stars, and what things about most with this virtue, it is cast some common Platonist assumptions. Gosh, an aside, this title is longer than stuff I write. Anyway, Platonists say that all inferior bodies are exemplified by the superior's ideas. So that's the basic. If you're familiar with the cave and the fact that we're looking at a reflection and we think that's the whole of reality, but reality is not that, that pretty much that was the dialogue where this theory came from. Anyway, uh, continuing quoting from, from the book. Now they define an idea to be a form above bodies, souls, minds, and to be but one simple, pure, immutable, indivisible, incorporeal, and eternal, and that the nature of all ideas is the same. And in the following chapter... The philosophy becomes um, the basis of Agrippa's theory that in us individuals, we find particular gifts from the figure and situation of the stars, as above, so below. As obviously he was familiar with uh, Hermes Trimiscistus, which was actually quoted as one of the influences on his work in the introduction to the work by Agrippa himself. And the soul of the world given by God is reflected in the way every level of creation is organized. And I mentioned in the natural magic episode from earlier, but I have a sense that a lot of the criticism of magic comes from a place of assuming a certain mechanical literalism that is congruent with Newtonian physics, but seems to me to be missing from the scientific approach until the Enlightenment and then after the 20th century with quantum physics. And Agrippa was not the only person talking about this stuff in mathematical terms. Excuse me. Although since we established he was one who wrote 
the most comprehensive and systematic text. I will be quoting him again from chapter one of the second book, which is the one specifically on celestial magic. Um, start quote. The doctrines of mathematics are so necessary to and have such an affinity with magic that if they profess magic without them, it's quite out of the way any effort in vain and will not obtain their desired effect at all. And that's actually me paraphrasing because it was a lot more complicated to read in, in the original English. Um, the inferior natural virtues are governed by number, weight, measure, harmony, motion and light. And all things which we see in these inferiors have root and foundation in them. So this is the end of the quote. And that is the, just the mathematical concepts just listed. So the reason I wanted to discuss this understanding of celestial magic before looking at the transits for the two weeks ahead and our collective tarot reading is because lately I have come across a lot of discourse around how astrology is silly and do you really believe that the energy of the planets get to us? And the answer is yes and no. And that was the case for astrologers that went atheists back in the day, even when they took the spiritual realm and the divine intelligence organizing the cosmos as a given. The imprint that we received at birth comes from them, uh, for them, from the idea that God created the spiritual and celestial realms and then the matter that we're made for emanated from it. And it's an issue of resonance, if you will, meant in the popular sense, not the scientific definition. And fair enough. If you don't believe that souls may be a thing, then this whole conversation is a moot point. But if you're agnostic about it and still wonder why people use astrology and cosmic magic, I hope this exploration has cleared some ideas up. So I'm going to keep the Spiritus Mundi for a follow-up episode, so I don't dump too much of you uh, on you in one go. And I already wonder if I dump too much as it is. But I'd be happy to go over concepts again if you have any questions. As again, inbots and all ways to reach me are going to be in the show notes. This episode is going live about four hours before the new moon in Capricorn. So as a reminder, this is a good time if you want to set long-term goals because the new moon is Saturn dominant with Saturn at four degrees Pisces aspecting three planets and a stellium in its domicile of Capricorn. And the key transits between the lunations will be Mercury returning to Capricorn after the retrograde ended. And that will happen on the 14th. And we will have the Sun and Pluto moving into Aquarius on the 20th and 21st, respectively. And then Venus coming into Capricorn on the 23rd. And as the Sun leaves Capricorn, it will be conjunct Pluto at the anarchy degree. So that's a date for your diary to shake up the final lessons of the past 15 years and integrate them into your future direction. Aside from the Square between the Sun and North Node at 8 p.m. tonight, if you're listening uh, on the day of release, and Venus trying the North Node on the 14th. Most aspects in these two weeks ahead are among the water and earth signs, which is more like the vibe we had in 2023 than the more fiery vibe waiting for us later in the year. Although with Mars as one of the players, with us trying with Jupiter tomorrow on the 12th, I'd say there's a little bit of more action than 2020, most of 2023, this year of the swamp. 
And because it's mostly a dance between the intrapersonal and generational planets, Mercury and Venus, if it, sorry, it feels to me like we're having a slow entry to the new year in line with uh, still being winter in the Northern Hemisphere and almost like a time of preparation for the fire and air dominance of the late spring onwards that I talked about in the previous episode. And of course, the full moon will be on the Leo-Aquarius axis, which means that Jupiter square as well as the opposition inherent in it being a full moon. And since we are changing seasons as well as a generation with Pluto moving into Aquarius, although sorry, there's going to be a retrograde ahead again, I pulled three cards. So I have a card as a theme for Aquarius season, a card for the times when it starts to connect with that energy and then what we need to release as we enter the new season. And for that, I had three major arcana. I'm not joking, that is what happened. So for the theme for Aquarius season, I have the world. And I was like, no way, because that's such... (laughs) It's a very everything is fine card, and that's kind of not the vibe that a lot of people associate with Aquarius because the way that we look at Aquarius a lot of the time is as this kind of social justice warrior card where we're thinking about the collective and we think about making things happen and changing the world. And obviously, with the situation we live in now, that's an understandable feeling because there's at least two genocides going on and we still have the war in, war, uh, the war in Ukraine. And <laughs> there's been mass shootings and whatnot. It's sometimes even hard to keep up with the news without wanting to get off the planet, really. And so the major arcanas are cards of the macrocosm. So it's like the big themes of our lives, and we're basically being told everything will be fine, in a sense. And why not? I mean, it's, as was saying earlier, we have a, a slower start to the year, and... The world is a reminder that there's no rush. So that's one way in which I'm choosing to look at it and pretty much considering everything that I do to be the right thing and not worry about the decisions I make and whether the results are in line with what my expectations are. And that can do is a good segue in the next card as I said the card for the times are hard and it's difficult to connect with the energy of the world which is strength which is the card of the year if you use the order from the uh, Rider Waitsmith deck because before that tradition as I was talking about last week I believe I think it was last week or the week before we had the swap between strength and justice. And in strength, we have this idea with the Rider Waitsmith specifically, 
it changed from the Tarot de Marseille that was a bit more masculine and physical strength based in meaning to be more of a kind of like an inner strength and finding strength in surrender. And in my specific deck, which you can buy at uh, my affiliate link for bookshop.org, is the Mystical Manga Tarot. The depiction sees the lion, yes, in a chain, being controlled by the woman who is the warrioress of what looks like an army because there's like a bunch of flags. But it's a very fierce lion not fierce in the sense that it's attacking it's kind of like a pet you kind of like seeing the owner with this very proud dog walking around the park that is kind of the vibe so it's more like they're working together and yes the lion is chained so it is to an extent we have subdued and controlled the natural impulses with our own inner strength but it's not demonizing them, if that makes sense. Actually, my voice is going wow. <clears throat> I don't necessarily want to apologize, but um, I hope it's not too annoying. And finally, so that I don't talk too much and have this raspy voice, the thing to release as we enter that new season, so in order to get to the world, we have the devil. The devil is like the Capricorn card in the Golden Dawn um, astrological correspondences, which is an interesting um, interpretation that I don't necessarily agree with. And I might go back over that, which I discussed already a little bit in season one. But in this depiction, it's a very not safe for work card because it's a BDSM themed scene. And kind of heavy on the suggestion of pleasures being something that enslaves you. <clears throat> Sorry. And so I don't necessarily agree with that view. But at the same time, I can see the point that we need to find the balance between freely enjoying good things and being controlled by the quest for having them. And so, in a way, having the world for the Aquarius card is a very detached, emotionally kind of, having reached this peace. And so... It's kind of like a surrender and letting go. So I hope that makes sense because my voice is going and I really would like to wrap up. But I'm always around for messaging and it's changing thoughts if anybody has any things that they would like to share or disagree with me. Please feel free. I, I'm no guru. This is just the thoughts of a silly little girl. And there will be more coming about Aquarius in the newsletter, which which amusing on Substack comes out on the 19th every month. And then I'll be back next week, hopefully, since who knows, my voice might be going for, for longer than I wish. And I haven't 
recorded anything yet uh, with more of the back to basics of star magic. But until then, keep living in wonder. <laughs>